Uh, it's been it's been too long. Um, I look back at my year here fondly, uh, and thank you all for the hospitality um, that you showed me when I moved down here, and I knew pretty much nobody uh, and had no friends and was just looking for a place uh, of people who would take me in. So sincerely, from the bottom of my heart, thank you for your ministry to me last year. Uh, for those of you who don't know, and that just sounds really odd, my name is Dave. I was a member here for a year, but then moved back to Milwaukee, um, and I'm happy to be back. This morning, we're going to be in uh, Romans 5, if you'll turn there. We're going to be looking at the first 11 verses. Uh, I will read it, pray, and then jump into it. This is Romans 5, starting in verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we, have, that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now received reconciliation. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning, um, come to you from many different places. Some of us are in the midst of a good season. Some of us are in the midst of life seeming to fall apart. Some of us feel like life doesn't have any direction and everything in between. Uh, But Lord, we come because we are eager to hear from you. Uh, We pray that as we go through your word that you do what you do with it and that your spirit moves in our hearts to bring us closer to you and shape us into the image of your son. Amen. Uh, I doubt anybody will disagree with me when I say this. Relationships can be complicated. Uh, Relationships can be hard. They can be challenging, whether that's romantic relationships, friendships, bosses, coworkers, Brothers, sisters, sons, daughters, fathers, mothers, relationships can be complicated. And yet, relationships are often the greatest source of joy in our life. When our close and valued relationships are going well, life can feel like a dream. We feel known and cared for, we feel secure. And even like when our relationships are going well, it seems to like stem into other areas of our life, right? Like we feel more confident and positive about other things that are going on. And yet, again, relationships are complicated. So when those close relationships are not going well, all of life seems to be falling apart 
not just the relationship. As this relationship is deteriorating, as it's disrupted, we have this sense of fear and insecurity. Like, are we still on good terms? What happened? We used to be so close. Relationships are great, but they can be complicated. We often talk about having a relationship with God, and we mean it in this personal sense, right? And, and God is indeed personal. He, he invites us to know him and to be known by him. Though we probably feel it and experience it, I don't think we often talk about our relationship with God and how sometimes it gets complicated. Sometimes it does seem distant, and we are asking, how does God actually feel about us? What does he think about us? And we feel like there's not actually much security in that relationship anymore. I wonder as you sit there this morning, how your relationship with God is. Is it one that you are confident and secure in, or one of insecurity and doubt about where you stand with him? If you, if you had to describe your relationship with God, how indeed would you describe it? And if you had to try and guess how God would describe his relationship with you, how do you think he would? The title of my sermon this morning is Relationship Status. And despite the roller coaster and complexity of many of our human relationships, we're going to see this morning that God wants us to be confident and secure in our relationship with him. He, he doesn't want there to be any doubt or confusion about where we stand with him and how he thinks and feels about us. If I could put it to you simply in one sentence, here it is. In Christ, you have peace with God. This morning as we walk through our text, we're going to see first that our peace with God has been secured. And then we're going to see these two benefits of being at peace with God in our lives. So first, verse 1, our peace with God has been secured. Look at it again. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, peace here isn't just like some sense of like internal tranquility. It's referring to that we are no longer at war with God. Things are at peace. They were once hostile, as Paul's going to say later in this passage, but now have been reconciled. Of course, this begs the question, well, why do we need peace in the first place, and how is that peace actually secured? Uh, this passage this morning is, is very much the closing of Paul's first larger section in Romans, and so he's been building up to this point. That's, where he's, that's why he starts with the word, therefore. So if we were to trace back Paul's line of thought, we would start in Romans 1.18, where he says the wrath of God is directed towards all humanity. And he begins to describe how all humanity, every person, through all cultures, through all time, have sinned. And sin is simply the thoughts, actions, attitudes that you and I have that are in opposition to God and his will. Uh, one of the common ways we think about sin is it's rebellion. It's trying to throw off God's rule in favor of our own. 
In essence, we're saying to the creator, you know, I think I got it from here. I think I can do it better. Paul sums it up in this way in Romans 3.9. We've already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. Everyone is guilty. Everyone is an enemy of God and not at peace with him. This is why we need peace, because there's a problem we all face, whether you know it or not, whether you agree with it or not. We all have the same problem. The problem being, how do guilty people who have rebelled against God and thus are rightfully condemned under his wrath, how are they made right before God? Of course, we can try and make ourselves right. We can try and do things, live a moral life, go to church, even make it to Sunday school early. I don't know what your cup of tea is of trying to make it right, but I assure you that it's not sufficient in being able to make you innocent before God. And it isn't simply because like those good things we do aren't enough to make up for it. It's because, let's be honest, those good things that we say we do, we don't even do those that well. So not only do we have this problem that we're guilty before God, we also have this problem that there's no way we can make ourselves right before him. So how is peace secured? Here's the beauty of the gospel. God takes this problem on himself. It's not his problem, it's our problem. But God sends his son to die on a cross as the penalty of our sin. Paul writes it this way in 324. We are justified. Justified here is a a legal word. It means to be made right before God as the judge. We are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, a payment by his blood to be received by faith. That's God's solution. The one who has faith in Jesus in his death, his sins are forgiven. They're now innocent before God. They're no longer guilty. They're no longer under his wrath. And often, both as we speak it and as we think it, our definition of the gospel stops at this point. Bam. We're justified. We're legally forgiven. But we come to Romans 5. That's not where Paul stops at his description of the gospel. Look at it again. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith... We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Justification isn't the end. Peace with God is the end. Reconciliation with God is the end. It is the result, the benefit of justification, that we now have a secured peace with God. Just as justification uh, describes our legal status and standing before God, Peace with him, for those of us who are in Christ, is how he describes our relationship status. Instead of wrath, there's warmth. Instead of distance, there's closeness. Instead of fear, there's safety. You're not just right before God, you're right with him. You're not just innocent before a distant judge, but on a very deep, personal level, things are good between you. If you were to show up at his home for dinner, 
he would joyously let you in. Back when I was a dumb high schooler, I had two very dear friends, Austin and Parker. They were brothers, and we had a lot of fun together. We spent a lot of time together. I was over their house quite a bit, and I became friends with, like, the entire family. And uh, one summer evening, uh, the Comfort family, they were away on vacation, and me and some other friends, we were looking for some fun to, to do, and somehow... Again, really dumb high schooler. <laughs> Somehow I thought it'd be a good idea, since the comforts were gone, for me and my other friends to drive over to their home and use their hot tub, obviously without asking, since they're not there. And that's what we did, and honestly, we had a good night. Went home, didn't think anything of it. When the comforts returned from that vacation, uh, I got a phone call from Mr. Comfort, Austin and Parker's dad, Apparently, we had forgotten to turn the hot tub off, and so it had been running all week, just, you know, building up that electric bill. And, you know, this shows something about who I was in high school. Mr. Comfort knew exactly who to call when he found the hot tub still running. And I sincerely apologized. I mean, I really, really did. I mean, I get, even then, as a dumb high schooler, I got that it was a breach of trust. And Mr. Comfort graciously forgave me. I was justified. I was made right before him. That next time over, I went over to their house, I noticed an extreme anxiety building up in me. I knew I had been forgiven by Mr. Comfort, but actually looking him in the eye and wondering if our relationship had changed at all. Because he had forgiven me, but, you know... Sometimes you're like, is the dynamic going to be different? Is the intimacy that we had going to be broken, even though I'm forgiven? Mr. Comfort was a very gracious and wise man. As I sheepishly walked into their home that afternoon, he got up right away, came over to me, and just embraced me. He knew that I needed to know that I wasn't just forgiven, that there was peace between us. This morning, I wonder if that's how you would describe your relationship status with God. That you're not just forgiven by some distant judge, but you've actually come to peace, reconciliation, relationship with, with your Father. Of course, this will take some self-examination and honest look at our own souls because... As believers, we're not meant to walk this Christian life without this security in this relationship. We're not supposed to be walking this Christian journey just wondering how God actually feels about us, unsure if our relationship status is complicated. The Christian walk is not to be undertaken without this security of peace with God. So here the truth of This first verse, in Christ, those of us who have put our faith in him, you have peace with God. Perhaps you're here this morning and you're realizing, I don't actually feel that peace. I don't experience that peace. I don't have that peace. I've never had that peace. See it as an invitation. See it as something that God is knocking on the door of your heart, saying, you and I, 
We still got some business to figure out. And talk about it with somebody. When Eric comes back, go grab coffee with him. Get Clayton, take me to coffee or lunch after service. I'll be more than happy to sit down and talk. So, if we now know that we have this peace, the question becomes, well, what is the benefit of of having this peace with God? How does this actually play out for us today? First thing that we see in verses 2 through 8 is we have a confident hope in the present. Look at verse 2 with me again. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now, if you'll notice the, the hope, the rejoicing, it, it's present. We are presently rejoicing. While hope is always fixed on something in the future, it is something we actually do, and it's something that impacts our present. The word rejoice here, some of your other translations might say boast or exalt. Uh, it's this sense of like confidence and celebration. It's as if we are basking in the victory that we have in God. That we know we stand before him in grace, and we know that we will stand before him fully in glory. The image of the word uh, rejoice, it's like it's walking around with your head held high. It's rooted in the peace with God and that victory, and so you're able to just keep your head up and have a little smirk. It's hard to live hopefully and to live confidently with God if we don't know our peace with God. But when we do know our peace with God, when we're secured in that relationship, this is how the Christian is to approach life, Paul says. Walk with your head up. Not arrogance, but confidence. Not walking in a pretentious manner, but certainly in a victorious one. Not walking doubtfully, but joyfully. In fact, we can be so confident of this hope that we have that Paul then says, even when you experience hardship, you can keep your head up. Knowing you're at peace with God, having confidence, you can endure the race that is set before you. Confident hope is the muscle that we as Christians are to engage as we encounter hardship might not be easy going through this hardship, but it will prove the legitimacy of the work that God is doing in our life. And as we go through this, as we're using this muscle, it just circles around and produces more hope. It strengthens the muscle we're using. And then we look back at the journey, and we're like, oh, well, God was loving us that whole time. Whatever suffering you are presently facing this morning, I'm sure we all have something that comes to mind. I wonder if you're facing it with a confident hope. Not that everything's going to turn out exactly as you want it to, but that you're rooted and secured and that you have peace with God. That you're able to experience his love even in difficult times. Whether it's health-related, relational turmoil, an ongoing sin struggle, financial stress, existential questions, what am I going to do with my future? 
Is your head still up? Or is it down in shame and defeat? Even in the hardest parts of our life as believers, because of our knowledge of our peace with God, we're called to walk with our head up. We can walk with our head up. Confident. Joyful. Secured. Of course, Paul is realistic. He realizes that there are times where life is going to hit us really hard. And that our heads will be down. Where this suffering of this life will cause us to lose hope and will cause us to doubt our peace and security with God. Even to the point that we question his love and goodness for us. I mean, we've all been there. In a room of this size, I'm sure some of us are there this morning. We look at what's going on in our lives and we ask, God, are you like out to get me? Did I do something? I thought we were good, but the way things are going, you seem to be an enemy. That we aren't at peace with each other anymore, but actually at war. What do we do when we find ourselves there? How do we move from defeat to confident hope? From insecurity about our relational status with God to once again a place of security in our knowledge of peace with him. This is the turn that Paul makes. Look again at verse 6 through 8. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Paul points our attention back to the place that he always does, the cross. When life hits us and everything becomes cloudy and we're not really sure how God feels about us, how God thinks about us, if God is actually even on our side, Paul says, go look at the cross. And though Paul makes this sentence very wordy, his logic is pretty simple. He's saying, look, occasionally, maybe, somebody might sacrifice themselves for like a good and worthwhile person. And that would be an act of love. However, God died for somebody, you for me, when we were not even good, not even somewhat worthwhile, but when we were hopeless sinners. And if he was willing to die for us when we were still dead in our sin, well, how much does he love you? I think of uh, my roommate, Austin. He's a very dear friend. I love him dearly. Don't tell him I said that, though. (laughs) And we're roommates. There are times that he does something that annoys me, and there are times that he says things that are hurtful, as I'm sure I do to him. And sometimes it's easy to think, you know, when he doesn't fold the throw blanket in the living room up, 
or when something does slip and I'm like, is that really what you think of me? It's easy to get in that thought pattern that maybe this relationship isn't what I thought it was. Maybe he doesn't like me or doesn't care for me. And then I think, you know, instead of taking the one negative thing and making that the defining lens of my understanding of our relationship, why don't I look at all the things that Austin actually does to love and support me? Because that's how he truly feels about me. Now, obviously, God is not a bad roommate that occasionally offends us, but I think the principle still holds. Look at the demonstration of God's love for you on the cross when you're wondering how he thinks and feels about you. Our heads are to be up. When they begin to sulk, lift them up in the direction of the cross. In Christ, you do have peace with God. So keep your head up. Our our peace with God brings confident hope in the present. But of course, uh, as good as hope is in the present, it's much better when that thing we are hoping for actually comes true in the future. This is what we see in verses 9 through 11, that our peace with God also provides a confident assurance of the future. Look again at at verse 9 with me. Paul uses this similar refrain that we saw in verse 1, therefore, since we have been justified by his blood. This is once again the implications of our justification and of our peace with God. And once again, I don't know why in this section Paul's a little wordy, but his, his logic is very simple. If God sacrificed his son for us while we were enemies with him to bring us this reconciliation, now that we are reconciled in the present, we can be confident that he will come through in the future. If he chose and was able to do this thing in the past to make us sons and daughters, we can be confident that he will choose and will do this thing in the future for his sons and daughters. Our knowledge of our peace with God now is to give us assurance of our peace with him when that day comes. And if when we think about that and we realize we don't have peace thinking about that day in the future, perhaps that says something about how we actually aren't experiencing peace with God that we think we are in the present. I don't know how often you think about that day when you'll have to stand before God. I know I probably don't think about it as often as I should. The, uh, the busyness and, and daily concerns of day-to-day life just seem to take over. Though I imagine there are plenty of us in this room, and I'm going to include myself in this one, that when we think about that day, we kind of have some jitters, feel a little uneasy about it. Like, I know what God says, but at the same time, is that actually going to happen for me when I get there? I think it's natural to uh, somewhat condemn ourselves in that and think like, man, I I just need to be a better Christian. Uh, I need to have more faith so that I don't feel that way. 
What's interesting is that it's kind of antithetical to uh, this passage. Because that would be us saying that my peace with God is depending on my works for God. Right? I'm going to have this security, this confident assurance of the future if I'm doing all the right things now. And look, I'm promoting living a godly life. But Paul's saying, well, we have peace with God because of Jesus, because of his sacrifice, because of his death, not because of the things we've done. I think when we realize that we have this chink in the armor of our faith, it's an invitation to more deeply rely on Christ so that we can be more fully assured of our peace with God and confidently lift our heads up even as we face death. In Christ, you have peace with God. Keep your head up. Since moving back to Milwaukee, I've become one of these, uh, I'm not really proud of this, I've become one of these people that runs. <laughs> it's like, I don't know, I used to like always make fun of those guys. And uh, yeah, I, it's, it's, I'm disappointed in myself. But nonetheless, I am now one of these guys that runs. My uh, friend Taylor the other week, she introduced me to this, this uh, app called the Nike Run Club. Um, it, man, I can't believe I'm sharing this. <laughs> so what this app is, is you like select a run you're doing. Let's say you're doing a 5K. You select a 5K. You put your like earbuds in. You go for this run, and this coach starts talking to you, right? Like it's this pre-recorded like, you know, running expert, and he's telling you all this stuff. And, you know, most of the time it's, like, way too positive for my taste. Like, I could use more of a kick in the butt than, like, you know, you're the best thing ever. And most of the time he's interrupting my music, so I'm a little irritated at that. Now, I got to be honest, like, running doesn't come easy for me. Like, I feel my muscles ache. I still feel like my, my breath get tight. My mind gets weary. And, and towards most of the ends of this run... I am, you know, pretty weak and tired, feeling somewhat defeated if I'm going to make it. The coach then comes in my ears, and he says, make sure your eyes are up. Don't be looking at your feet. Look where you're going. I have no idea if this has any physical benefit. If there's some, like, science that shows running with your head up is better for you. Or perhaps it's just psychological. That seeing where you're going will help you get there. But I will say it makes a world of difference in my runs about whether I'm looking defeated at my feet or confidently where I'm going. I'm not sure where your head is sulking on this race of faith. Perhaps it's down because you're not secure about your peace with God. Maybe it's down because you're suffering and in hardships right now. Or maybe it's down because you're not sure of your eternal security. Whatever it is, my plea with you is to keep your head up. To know and be confident that in Christ you have peace with God. And this week, as you either go for a run or see somebody else on a run, notice where their head is and say to yourself, in Christ... 
at peace with God. So I'm going to keep my head up. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the work of your Son, uh, that despite us being rebellious sinners, you sent him to take on our penalty of sin, that you might justify us before you, and in so doing might bring us home and reconcile us to you in relationship. Lord, I pray for us here this morning uh, as we go through this walk of faith that we can be confident that we are secure in you, that we have peace with you, and that we will walk with hope and our heads up. In Jesus' name, amen.